Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Jennifer Shannon. Jennifer Shannon is a licensed psychotherapist and a certified diplomat in cognitive behavioral therapy specializing in anxiety. She has over 30 years of experience treating children, teens, and adults. She is the author of several books, including Don't Feed the Monkey Mind and The Anxiety Survival Guide for Teens. Her latest book is called The Anxiety Virus, Five Essential Practices to Build Immunity in Uncertainty. Welcome, Jennifer. Jennifer. Welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Welcome, Jennifer Shannon, to our podcast. Happy to be here. You know, I was really wanting to do an episode about uncertainty, given the state of the world right now. I was kind of just looking on the internet to try to find therapists and providers and psychologists that focus on this sort of thing. And I found you. And I've been very interested in, I know you've been an author of many books, but in 2017, you wrote the book, Don't Feed the Monkey Mind. And most recently, The Anxiety Virus. And I just really wanted to talk to you about these things. Yeah, happy to talk about it. The whole idea of uncertainty is really an underlying cause for most anxiety that we experience. And so being able to apply it to different things that come up in our world is a great opportunity. I think the best way to start off would be to talk a little bit about the book in 2017, Don't Feed the Monkey Mind. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? Yes. Don't Feed the Monkey Mind, first of all, the title itself is, I'm using the metaphor of the monkey mind, which has been used for ages, to understand kind of what's going on with our anxiety. And this idea that Well, anxiety stems, it's complicated, but we could say that part of the fight-flight system is the amygdala. And because this part of our brain is so primitive and reactive and highly instinctual, the metaphor for the monkey mind really works quite well with that. And that when we're in an anxious state, it's like the monkey mind is going from branch to branch, trying to look for relief or distraction. And this kind of reactive idea of how to recognize when our mind is doing this and what can we do to help to tame this part of our brain and really I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist and so really the link between what are we thinking what are we feeling anxious and what do we do and respond to that anxiety is very important and what we do the behavior part can really either feed the amygdala, the monkey mind, making us more reactive and more prone to anxiety in the future, or we can engage in behaviors that will help to tame this part of our brain so that we really can ground ourselves and take more wise action and to feel less anxious and more joy in life. So this idea that you have this anxious thought and those are going to happen. Yes. And it's a matter of how you respond to those active thoughts through behaviors is what really matters. Yes. And it's really, and the part that I think is often missing, it's, so if we think of cognitive behavioral therapy, we're connecting the dots between thoughts, feelings, and actions. So it's the feelings of anxiety that really lead to the behaviors to try to get rid of that anxiety. We're uncomfortable when we're anxious and 
I think of the monkey mind once again as almost like airport security, where it's screening everything for potential threat, things that we think, things that we see, things that we feel. And if it perceives a threat, it sounds the alarm, which is like, danger, danger, something's wrong, do something. And these alarms that we get in the form of anxiety, anger, sadness, they're negative, we could call them negative emotions. It's really how do we respond to those emotions with our behavior? So we can go into fight flight in response to the emotions that we're experiencing, which doesn't usually lead to any wise action and is what's feeding the monkey mind. Or we can learn how to tolerate the negative emotions. So the three pieces that are really important is, yes, the thoughts, the feelings are very important and our stance towards the feelings. And then what behaviors do we engage in? Reactivity in response or different types of behaviors that really, again, the behavioral part does help tame that part of our brain. Right. And maybe this thinking the monkey mind is a primitive behavior, right? And so for a monkey, responding to every cue of danger was very adaptive for them. It is. And even for us, I mean, we need this part of our brain to alert us to danger. And when there's imminent threat, we do have to respond. It's, this part of our brain is fantastic for that really quick action. But so much of the anxiety that we're faced with in our world today is not imminent threat, but potential threats. And I know that's what we're going to be talking a lot about today is the political uncertainties and how as a whole, where so many of us are created so much anxiety. And it's almost like living with an IV drip of fear where we're just getting this constant flow of anxiety and sort of this low grade fight flight. And how do we deal with this anxiety today? Right. So that's a good leeway into, into this discussion about tolerance of uncertainty. And it brings me to this idea of your book, The Anxiety Virus. Can you tell me a little bit about how that came about? Yeah. And don't feed the monkey mind. I have identified that there's three basic mindsets that are problematic and really the root cause of all anxiety. So one is the intolerance of uncertainty. So this idea of I can only rest and relax if I'm certain that I and others I love are safe. And another mindset is perfectionism. So it's this idea of I can only feel good if I don't make mistakes. And the third is I call over-responsibility that I am responsible for other people's safety and happiness. And these are really what cause underlying, really, they, I would say that they are the underlying cause of all different types of anxiety that we have. The most common is this intolerance of uncertainty or this feeling like I can't rest and relax until I know that I'm safe. And so I started writing three books from Don't Feed the Monkey Mind, these three workouts to help us to tolerate uncertainty, to allow for mistakes in regards to perfectionism, and to take responsibility for ourselves and not for others in terms of teaching us to be less over-responsible. But the first one was on uncertainty, and it's actually called The Monkey Mind Workout for Uncertainty. That book was actually going to come out in August. It was finished, and then COVID hit. And that book was really based on what I call sweat the small stuff. It's everyday ways that we don't tolerate uncertainty well, actually we can learn from those everyday small practices 
to help prepare us for the big stuff. But then in February, March, the big stuff hit in the pandemic. And so at that point, I really was moved to write a book about uncertainty specifically on how to deal with this COVID pandemic. But one of the things that is true is that with anxiety, whether it's around COVID, whether it's everyday worry, anxiety about health and finances that we have prior to all the things that are happening in our world today, and political unrest, that it's true that maybe the situations, let's take COVID-19, this is a novel virus, but our anxiety is not novel. And our anxiety has been around forever. And so the same tools that help us deal with everyday anxiety can help us deal with these crises that we face. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as if the initial book was not as relevant, <laughs> given the crisis that was happening. It, it really wasn't. I mean, a lot of the practices in that book were, you know, drive to work in a route that you've never taken before to expose yourself to uncertainty. Well, first of all, most of us are we're homebound, so we're not driving to work. It just, it really didn't quite hit the right tone for what's happening. So would someone use it as a workbook kind of for self-help? Yes. The books that I write, I'm trying to write them in a way that we can understand how anxiety works in our body and our brain and give simple tools that we can use and remember to use when we're feeling anxious and how to actually practice that. The books all have practices that you can do. When we do treatment for anxiety, we create what's called exposure ladders. So it's how to face our fears in tolerable steps so that we can learn the skills to be able to learn to rest and relax even in the state of high anxiety. So how do we do that by exposing ourselves to our fears? And so in the books, I really give different ways of climbing that ladder as a way to overcome our anxiety. And in the anxiety virus, you know, again, that's changing constantly. But one of the things that I did was at that point when the book was coming out, the pandemic was just hitting and it was really fears about, for example, could I be sick with COVID? And people were engaging in behaviors like frequent temperature checking or Googling symptoms or excessive calling of their doctor, different kinds of things that would be what I would call feeding the monkey mind. And what you could do would be actually how to tolerate the uncertainty of whether or not you're sick, taking reasonable precautions, of course, and then dropping out some of these compulsive behaviors that we do to try to feel better, but they're actually feeding the anxiety. And that makes me, this question makes me wonder, I actually do a lot of obsessive compulsive disorder treatment in my practice. And the common question or dilemma that comes up is, what is the line between compulsive behaviors, right? And reasonable precautions? Yes. Yes, exactly. Well, here's the, to me that the most important thing. When we, and this is interesting too, because I had just finished treatment with somebody who had OCD prior to the pandemic, and she did a very successful treatment. She had health anxiety, but it was compulsively washing her hands and not touching things, touching things with her elbows and all, all these different things. And in the treatment for that, it was really to wash hands at certain times before you eat and after you use the bathroom and to touch the doorknobs and not immediately wash your hands. 
And she was very successful. We did what's called exposure response prevention for treatment for OCD. And she was doing great. And then I got, she was one of the first emails I got when COVID hit. And she says, okay, now what do I do? And I really thought about this because here we all were to wash our hands, what feels like excessively. At that point, we were really concerned about surfaces and hand sanitizers and wipes and not touching things and washing our groceries. How do you not fall into compulsive behaviors if you're having to do all these things, particularly if you're predisposed towards, say, obsessive compulsive disorder? And what I came to was that okay, right now you actually do need to do all those behaviors. These are reasonable behaviors. But if we engage in those behaviors to eliminate uncertainty, now we're starting to feed the monkey mind. We're starting to actually get rigid and inflexible and compulsive. So it's really how do we do these behaviors when we know that even if we do these behaviors, there's still a possibility that we might get sick. And it's learning how to tolerate that uncertainty and do the behaviors, but not excess, like say, okay, and at this point, I'm going to stop. For her, she was actually in her house and she would be washing her hands compulsively, even though there was, in terms of contaminants inside the home. So we put her on a, a schedule in terms of how much to wash her hands. So it was still looking at compulsive behaviors, but the main part was learning that even if you do these behaviors, we need to tolerate the uncertainty, the possibility that you could still get sick and learning to relax into that instead of try to eliminate it. That's where we get grounded. That's where we can learn to actually mm. overcome excessive anxiety. I like that. That makes sense to me. That also leads me into thinking, okay, this anxiety, health anxiety about COVID kind of reasonable behaviors that before COVID maybe would be compulsive, right? But then it makes me think about this political anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, feeding the monkey mind behavior could be obsessively checking the news, looking at the news. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I mean, it's helpful to stay informed, right? But does it really keep you safe? Exactly. I was thinking a lot about, okay, political uncertainty and talking about that and trying to figure out, first of all, with political uncertainty and the anxiety we experience, how not to get political on this show. You know, it's because we can easily go into the content of, okay, this threat and that threat and what's right and what's wrong and what should we do and what shouldn't we do, which is really kind of engaging too much in the content of it. So I was starting to think about, okay, what is it that really unites us in this political anxiety? And I think that what unites us is really this idea of safety and security does feel threatened right now, that we're going through this transition, our country is more polarized and perhaps, well, I don't know if it's more polarized than it ever has when we did have a civil war. So we've had polarization before. But we're all feeling shaken by this sense of our own safety and security. And I think that we probably all want pretty much the same kinds of things, which is to feel more grounded, to feel connected, to, as a country, have peace, strength, to be able to kind of reclaim happiness and joy. 
So that's really what we have in common. And, and then how do we respond to it in a wise way as opposed to a reactive way? Because what I think is happening is when we get anxious and that fight flight gets activated, we start getting more polarized, more tribal mm-hmm. and engage in behaviors that aren't actually going to help us. One of those is excessive going into news feeds and it's news feeds. And I have been watching more news than usual. And even with commentators that oftentimes they're sort of igniting more polarization. And so that when we watch news, we can get it like activates the amygdala where we start going, okay, this is bad. And oh my gosh, this is going to happen. And whatever side we're on, it's going to activate us. So it is important to stay informed. I think that doing it at certain times and not too close to bedtime because part of what anxiety is can be insomnia and excessive worry, which is not going to help us. So scheduling times that you're going to watch news feeds and social media is the other big, I think, culprit in overly feeding that monkey mind or kind of activating the amygdala where people can be very impulsive in what they say without being thoughtful first. And there's a lot of kind of polarization going on in social media. So I think that is really detrimental to us moving through and being able to ground and take wise action. Yeah, it's as if it's just constantly inflaming your anxieties that are held a little bit further back in your mind during your normal day. But you're constantly, you're, you're actively reminding yourself of that and you're bringing it up maybe at times that it's not appropriate. That's right. And I think another thing is to think about, okay, well, if there is a real problem with OCD treatment, you know, it's really saying, okay, this, we can see clearly this is excessive. And the threat prior to COVID, say if it was um, germ phobia, was you're not going to catch a disease from a doorknob. So it's reasonable to touch that. But here, when there's reasonable threats, do we do something different? Then, and again, I think in terms of the behaviors that we do want to, so, say politically, if you want to take action, you definitely want to take wise action. And it's appropriate if you feel strongly about something to whatever that wise action might be, but you don't want to go into this kind of, I was thinking a little bit about, well, wars, for example, they have boot camp and they have boot camp because when you're in the field of battle, if you're untrained, you're just going to react and you're not going to win those battles. So you're going to have to learn protocols of how to respond to different threat situations. You need training. And then I was thinking about Martin Luther King and nonviolent protests and how he really trained his people that were protesting in terms of what their goals were and how to engage in a nonviolent way. Because if you just go out there and somebody starts hurling insults at you, our fight flight will get activated and we could then pick up a rock and throw it. This is not going to be wise action. It's going to further polarize. So that's when we go out and take action, we don't want to be using our monkey mind to really be the one in the driver's seat. We want our prefrontal cortex, our thinking rational mind to be in the driver's seat. And so one of the big questions is, well, how do we do that then? How do we, if we're exposed to all this news and there's selection coming up and there's people's fears are inflamed and we're having strong negative emotions like hopelessness, anger, fear, how do we then take wise action? What do we do? And that's really what my books are about is, okay, what are the steps that we need to take that will help us to be able to be more grounded? Can we talk about those steps? Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. 
where do we begin? Let's start with thoughts, because that is really kind of where we're going to be worth always thinking. And to identify, to me, again, it's the monkey mindset, I call that. So with uncertainty, if we go to this, I can only rest and relax if I'm certain that I'm safe or I'm certain that the country's safe. Well, then it's going to be hard to find rest and relaxation. So it's more about, can I learn to relax when I'm uncertain and when I don't know whether things will work out? So this idea of, okay, first of all, let's accept uncertainty. We don't know. And that we need to, instead of saying we have to eliminate uncertainty, that we can learn to rest and relax within uncertainty. So that's partly is just changing that belief system a little bit, turning it slightly to be able to accept it. And then feelings. So just because we say, okay, I'm going to try to learn to rest and relax, even when I don't know if things are going to work out the way I want them to, we're still going to be flooded with anxiety, fear, anger, hopelessness. All of these emotions are going to be here. This is one of the most important parts is learning to tolerate negative emotion. And the ways that I think are best to do that is to really, first of all, make room for it. So I do a lot of meditation practices, which is specifically not to just sit and notice the breath and notice thoughts, but to actually move into negative emotion. So it's to say, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to let myself feel anxious. And instead of trying to get rid of it, I'm going to sit with it. I'm going to feel it in my body. Where is it? Is it my heart's beating fast? My chest is tight. I'm sweating. Whatever it might be, I'm going to say, okay, let me feel this. And this idea of using a meditation to soften and surrender to the emotions. So instead of contracting around them, we're actually expanding and making room for the emotions. And when we do that, we can, I call it metabolize emotion. It's just like food. If, we're, if we eat something and then we're all tight, we can't digest that. If we kind of relax, then the food can be digested and metabolized and it's energy. And emotion is energy too. So instead of contracting around and saying, this is terrible, I have to do something to get rid of this, whatever that might be, it's more about, okay, here it is. So a big part is label it. Okay, oh, I'm feeling anxious, really anxious right now. This is not the time to go and do something at. There's a, the saying, don't just stand there, do something. Well, with emotion, it's more don't do something, stand there. Hmm. Be with what is right now in this moment. Open up to it. Take time to do this. When we do that, emotions flow. They're like clouds in the sky where there can be thunderstorms and lightning and rain, but it's going to change. Let it open up to it. And then we can, things will change. The weather pattern changes. We metabolize the emotion. This is key in grounding us and being able to access that prefrontal cortex. And then the other part really is watch our behaviors. So it's, you know, We know these behaviors that are driven when we're in an activated state, arguing, excessive checking of news feeds. The other thing I think is really important is turn off notifications. Notifications on phones, just, they just, you absolutely, it's like, it's like poking the amygdala constantly. So we really don't want to do that. So really looking, metabolizing the motion, and then I call it curbing the urge to engage in reactive behaviors. 
So it's really those three steps. So this idea of changing the mindset to I'm going to accept uncertainty, I can live with uncertainty, and then metabolizing motion by opening up to it and using practices to do that, and then really watching our behaviors. Can you talk a little bit more about watching behaviors and what that actually entails in practice? Yes. I'm going to use a COVID example. This was at the beginning when one of the behaviors that a lot of people were engaging with was stockpiling groceries and toilet paper and different things like that. So that behavior, while it seems reasonable, like, well, what if we do run out? We don't know if we're going to run out. So, oh my gosh, we've got to go out there and just get it, which was creating shortages and things and long lines and crowding and it really was, we were operating from our amygdala at that point. And with that behavior, so I had a client who had been doing this and was feeling highly anxious and he'd been in treatment with me before. And I said, okay, well, we can see the same dynamic that you have this urge to go out and stockpile and then you do it and you feel better for a little bit until there's a shortage in something else. And then you do the same thing. And again, this is feeding the amygdala. You're actually not going to be investing in long-term calm by doing this. And so we created a practice for him where he was to go to the grocery store, look for empty shelves, resist the urge to go online and try to get that thing that was had run out and to actually say, okay, what will I do if I can't get this? So it's this idea of don't give into the urge to stockpile, feel the feelings. What are you, what are you feeling right now? Panic, anxiety, but don't engage in the behavior, feel the emotion. And the mindset there was that instead of, I can only rest and relax if I know I'm gonna have everything to keep me safe, it was, I will find ways to be flexible and resilient if I can't find what I want. You can see sort of that connecting where the thoughts, the feelings, the behaviors, and we create it in these practices that people can do. And at that point, and that really helped him. He couldn't wait to tell me the next time the empty shelf he found that he resisted the urge. He didn't go online to look for that, whatever it was that wasn't there in the grocery store. And, and it, it really kind of shifts our stance towards what's happening. And with most things, it's going to be flexibility and resilience that really is the most important thing to stockpile. Not the toilet paper, not the cans of soup, the beans. Yeah, you know, I'm feeling the urge to ask you a little bit more of a personal question, and you can let me know if you don't want to answer this. I'm just curious because I see you as an expert in teaching others how to tolerate uncertainty. I'm curious what your response was during the kind of mid March initial onset of kind of the COVID concerns, major concerns. How did you tolerate your anxiety? Well, so I definitely was anxious and I was definitely uncertain. Didn't know what was happening, you know, with like groceries, you know, what are we supposed to do? What's again, those, all the questions We're all human. I was going through all that experience myself. It really helps to write self-help books. And the reason I do that and the, and the practice I have I specialize in anxiety. And one of the reasons I specialize in anxiety is because I know anxiety very, very well. I don't have so much of the uncertainty stuff, but I had panic disorder when I was in graduate school. And so I really learned through doing things that weren't helpful to finally finding this way of moving into emotion and exposure therapy, all these things that are so powerful in my life 
and so powerful in the clients that I work with and the books that I write. It really does help to remind me of, okay, I know the principles here. Even though we're faced with this, I do know the principles. So it wasn't that I wasn't anxious. I was. I was, I think, probably at times doing probably excessive behaviors. I didn't know what was what we needed to do, what we didn't. But I could go to those things of, okay, I don't know. I can't know. And being able to tolerate not knowing is really what I need to work on right now. So I did apply all the things I talk about in my books and with my clients to myself. And I think that did really help me. You know, another thing that did help me, and it was a huge loss and trauma, but in California, we've been going through wildfires. I live in Santa Rosa in Northern California, and it's been hit three years in a row. And the first year that it hit, my house burned to the ground. And I actually was running out of the house at 1.30 in the morning. My house was burned within an hour. That traumatic event as well, which really this idea of what are our core fears? Our, our core fears is our safety and survival and losing connection. Those are our two core fears, I would say. And I did lose materially. I lost everything. That experience also was very useful for me in this idea of you can lose everything and you can rebuild and come back. And I don't mean just rebuild the house. I really mean more emotionally. And what did I depend on most was connections with other people to help me get through that. So it's not so much the safety and security, but how do we respond to it? And having had that experience, I do feel like it really, but my panic disorder when I was in college, you know, different things that, that crises that occur mm-hmm. are truly opportunities if we can recognize that and take steps to learn and grow and build that resilience. I think that right now with political uncertainty, you know, it's all the same things. So that's how I myself have learned to deal with that. And I, I will keep getting hit by different things. That's part of life. It's right. not like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm now a calm person. I don't respond. I'm always calm and grounded. Heck no. <laughs> you know, I, right. I got a very active monkey mind. But it's really about recognizing that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I just, I was so curious about how you live your life in terms of anxiety and uncertainty. And I think it's actually really helpful to hear. So I appreciate you sharing, sharing that. And it also makes me think about in cognitive behavioral therapy, it's not only kind of saying, okay, well, what good can come out of this? Also this idea, really bad things can happen and I'm still going to be okay. Exactly. Because when you're just saying that, Josephine, just saying really bad things can happen and I still can be okay. Again, it's like now we can relax into this kind of chaos or crisis. You know, one of the things too, I, I, I'm a fan of Pima Chodron. She's a Buddhist nun. She writes a lot about kind of in a sort of a spiritual way. And one of, she's written extensively on how to, you know, she's written a book called When Things Fall Apart. And I think it's How to Tolerate Uncertainty. And really, she's talking about how to stay with a broken heart, fear, anger, outrage by sticking with uncertainty. And that's how we learn to relax in the middle of chaos. This is what we need to be doing, how to learn to relax in the middle of chaos. And when we say, okay, it's it's here, it's okay that it's here. And the emotions, it really helps me when I feel anxious, angry, 
scared, all those things to say, it's totally normal to feel this way. It's okay to feel this way. Let me be with this feeling right now. It's almost like, you know, it's like the reason I use a monkey mind too is I didn't call it a monster. Anxiety is not a monster. It's an overactive kind of vulnerable little part of our brain. So can we take this this part of our brain like we would a small child and say, okay, it's okay. I'm here. We're going to get through this. Let's take a deep breath. Feel what I'm feeling. It's okay to feel this way. So that idea really helps when you think we're going to get through this. Right. Well, I think that's a great place to leave this. I I think so too. I love talking to you about this. I really, I mean, I think I loved it so much because it was so helpful for just me, myself. And I know that it's something that so many, I mean, just talking to my friends and family and people that I see in my practice, it's just such a topic that just comes up over and over again, you know, especially over the last half year. And so I think this is so important and I'm so glad you shared it with us. And I'm so glad your book is out there because I think it could be a great service to people and just kind of learning how to live in this spinning world. That's right. That's definitely my hope is is not only to help my clients, help readers and help myself. It's all part of the same thing. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I will make sure that I put a link to your book and your website onto the episode description. And I really appreciate you being here. Do you have any last words for the listener before we say goodbye? I think we've said it, you know, is is really about using this as an opportunity and that we're all in this together. Even if we see things differently, we're all in this together. We're all feeling anxious. We all care deeply. So how can we calm ourselves down and take wise action? That's really the most important thing. And these steps that we are using right now will help us in every area of our life. Mm-hmm. And also, Josephine, I can add, if you want to post, I can, there's, I make audio recordings about how to learn to be with emotion and metabolize that. And they're, you know, usually five to 10 minute recordings. So I yeah. can send one that you could yeah. link to and that people that could That sounds use. perfect. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time and best of luck with your work moving forward. And thanks for being here. It's been a pleasure to be here. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and offices in downtown Los Angeles, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina Del Rey, and Echo Park, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thank you for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.